electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I've said it a zillion times to you, and I'm going to keep saying it. Diversification is the only free lunch in this business, and I say it because of days like today, where the Dow gained 104 points, jumping to another record, along with the transports. S&P backslid 0.4%, but the NASDAQ, it plummeted 1.27%. And many of the big cat names were down much more. Yep, days like this one show you why I find it so worrisome that stocks within the same sector often trade in tandem, in unison. We just don't know which direction they'll head in. So if your whole portfolio was invested in only fast-growing tech stocks, you got the Steve Buscemi treatment today as this whole group went right into the wood chipper shredder. If, on the other hand, you were diversified with exposure to the down-and-out retailers and the cheap banks and the domestic transports I talk about, like the railroads or the airlines, you had a fabulous day. It was this and this. Why not? Out of nowhere, we have a chance for tax reform, something that didn't seem possible even a few weeks ago. So all of the domestic companies with high tax bills are likely to see their taxes come down big time which will give their future earnings a major boost. And as I always tell you, that is the key to a higher stock price. However, with a few exceptions, like the gigantic international players with lots of overseas business that will be able to repatriate a lot of capital low rates, the tech sector itself doesn't really benefit from this tax reform bill. Frankly, it's meaningless for most of them. Remember, we don't have new money flooding into this market. So if money managers want to buy the winners... Buy, buy, buy! They got to sell the stocks of companies that don't benefit as much in order to raise that cash. 
That's why tech is down and down hard. But the banks and the retailers and the transports have gone up in unison. At moments like these, the stocks in these various sectors all trade together until the rotation peters out. And the individual characteristics of companies like a bad Wells Fargo investigation or amazing earnings report from a cloud computing play or a possible takeover like the Nokia to buy Juniper deal we heard might happen imminently. Well, they start taking stocks up again. I swear, though, when you're in the midst of one of these rotations, it might not even matter if Macy's big retailer comes out and says, you know what? Black Friday was bad. The stock's going to trade higher. It trades higher with all the domestic retailers until the... By the way, also because of the buying from ETFs, which contain the stock of Macy's. Now, you could have a retailer in the fifth quartile of the group. Fifth quartile of the group. And it will go higher today. Why should we care so much about a binary day, which made out what you made out like a bandit if you own the big Dow and domestic stocks, but you got slammed right upside the head if you're in the big Nasdaq's names? I'll tell you why. It's because of the pain. If you were in Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, now Alphabet, or its derivatives today, especially if you bought these stocks on margin, meaning you played them with borrowed money. Then after another couple days like this, I bet you'll get blown out. I bet you'll got, get sent to kingdom come. Permanently souring on stocks, which is one of the reasons why I do the show. I don't want that to happen. And that's why I've played MI Diversified week after week for more than 15 years. So before we get into today's action in particular, let me tell you how I invested how, why I invented and how I invented the most boring game in the world. Back then, 15 years ago, we were coming out of the incredible dot-com implosion where people lost hundreds of billions of dollars in tech. And I realized that if you had a diversified portfolio with a mix of consumer packaged good stocks like Heinz and Coca-Cola Proctor, some cheap banks, good dividends, a transport, maybe some good old-fashioned pharma players like Johnson & Johnson, you may have gotten hurt if your portfolio also contained a stock like Cisco or a stock like Intel, which were collapsing. But you weren't crushed. You lived to play again. And you were able to take advantage of the fabulous wealth creation vehicle that is the stock market. You stayed in the game. My job to get you to stay in the game. It's the same reason why I always say your first investment should go into low-cost index funds, which have built-in diversification. It's why I say don't buy all energy when oil was at $100 a barrel. And why you don't want all food stocks when Kraft Heinz was on the prowl for acquisitions in the supermarket aisles. I never cared whether MI Diversified was stultifying or soporific, because I always knew that when days like today come around, it would be worth it if the game kept you from being blown out. Now, I do a conference call once a month for ActionAlertsPlus.com, the club that follows my charitable trust. And recently on one of these, I lamented that my discipline kept the trust from owning all of Fang. I said that as fabulous as Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alpha may be, they will break your heart when the NASDAQ skips a beat, especially now that there are actual ETFs that mimic our acronym of Fang. I was actually apologetic about the trust only owning Facebook and Alphabet. But I made it clear that this kind of discipline needs to trump your conviction that the companies are truly incredible. Sure enough, anyone who went all in on FANG today is feeling real heartbroken. 
real heartbroken. And we know what becomes of the brokenhearted, okay? So what's really going on underneath? First, there's the climate. Tech has gotten so red hot that it is scorching particularly the cloud and semiconductor-based stocks. This morning, a key name in that cloud firmament, Autodesk, a terrific software company, blew up with a real shortfall. At the same time, we got the speculative juices of Bitcoin inflating whole sections of the market, making people feel like there's much too much froth. I see after the close, the IRS is finally getting involved. Where'd they been? You know, look, there's no real correlation between Bitcoin and the stock market or any cryptocurrency, but we do feel less certain when something goes parabolic. You have forecasters talking about how stocks are more expensive than they've ever been, other than when we're tops. I heard from three different strategists last night at the launch party for the new Squawk Box Digs how dangerous this market is becoming. Simultaneously, you also have this Republican tax bill that will be a windfall for big companies. And it looks increasingly like it'll pass. So on the one hand, investors are feeling frothy in light of Bitcoin and Autodesk and the scorchers and semis. And on the other hand, you have down and out stocks that just got their earnings forecast boosted thanks to Congress. So tomorrow when we come in, we'll likely see a slew of upgrades for this group. Unless tax reform hits a snag tonight. Meanwhile, it doesn't matter at all what the analysts say about, say, Salesforce.com where nine different firms raised their price target this very morning, yet the stock still fell. As a matter of fact, when Salesforce reported that great quarter and it didn't go up, that may have been the biggest tell of all. So what happens now? Okay, stocks are a little like camping or glamping, as the fancier millennials now call their RV trips. Imagine you're in the woods with your friends and a bear stumbles into your campsite, clearly hungry for some delicious human porridge. You can't outrun the bear, but you don't need to. just need to outrun your buddies. That's what the sellers were like today. They went out of tech so badly because they know that if they get out now, get out ahead of others, they'll do much better than the ones that are human porridge. Here's the thing. These funds are by nature herd animals. They don't care if Amazon just had the best Cyber Monday ever. They don't want to know the difference between Salesforce and Autodesk. They're simply telling their traders, will you get me out of a million shares of Facebook and get me out of it now, today? Normally, it's not that big a deal. But when tons of firms want to sell a million shares of Facebook all at once, the traders on the other side, the brokers, have no desire to take down any kind of inventory. They're like dry cleaners. They don't want to keep your suits, even if they're Brioni. So they can't finish selling the Facebook until tomorrow. There's too much to go. And they usually don't even finish by tomorrow afternoon, which is when we're going to look for stocks, stocks to buy. At the same time, the highly margined investors who own these stocks have until tomorrow around the same time to put up more money. They usually can't. That's why I always say you have to wait until the end of the second day of a sell-off before you do much buying. So let me give you the bottom line on this sell-off. Is it one that we consider garden variety? Wrong question. Are there stocks of companies that appeal to you that are finally reaching your prices? That's what you're looking for. And when you find them, you can buy a little, but leave room to buy even more if or when they go lower. Amy in Texas. Amy. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. My question is, I am a novice investor, uh, and I've been watching your show for a little bit uh, less than a year, and I would like to have your opinion on Iron Mountain, IRM. It's good, uh, good dividend, good growth. Uh, I like the business very much. Uh, I think that it gives you a nice substitute for what you would get from treasuries. I think you got a winner. 
I'm a buyer, Iron Mountain. 5.8% yield, I like that. Today we saw that stocks can trade in unison. You just never know what direction in unison they're trading. Keep your eye on stocks and companies that could be reaching your prices. Forget about the market and the emotion. Focus on companies you like. Oh, man, money tonight. I'm getting an update on the state of the retail sector with the man behind the brands of Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. Do not miss my exclusive with the CBO of PBH after earnings. Then speaking of retail, I'm eyeing, eyeing a newly minted company that wants to give everyone a personal shopper. Is it time to make a play on style? I'm taking a closer look at Stitch Fix. And from managing real estate around the world to developing it in virtual 3D space, I'm talking with one of the hottest companies that have the hottest stocks, CBRE, about the future of the global economy. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. While the retail stocks have spent the last couple days rallying nicely, maybe we got too negative on the whole industry. The truth is that a lot of that negativity was indeed justified. Space is being disrupted, which makes life very difficult if you're running a brick-and-mortar chain that sells apparel. However, a select few apparel plays have managed to triumph here by partnering with everyone, including the top of, dis- of disruptor in the space, Amazon, a.k.a. Deskar. And with tax reform, which will help many domestic retailers finally looking like it could pass, companies that uh, supply these chain stores may have the wind at their backs. That's great for some of the lesser players, but I want to focus on the guys who've been winning all along during the disruption, even when things in retail look very bleak. Take PVH, the house of apparel brands that you know as Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. Well, they also have a bunch of smaller ones. PVH has seen its stock rally more than 50% for the year, which is incredible when you consider that carnage in so many of the department stores that sell merchandise. And they keep delivering. PVH just reported after the close, and the company delivered an 11-cent earnings beat off a 291 basis, higher-than-expected sales, up 5% year-over-year, rising gross margins up 180 basis points. Even better, the company's forecasting a double-digit 11% revenue growth for the fourth quarter, or 8% in constant currency. That sounds like a pretty terrific holiday season, in line with what we've heard from many other players in the space. Actually, better. So let's check in with Manny Chirico, the bankable chairman and CEO of PVH. Hear more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Trico, welcome back to Man Money. Good to see you, Manny. Have a seat. Hi, Jim. How are you? Oh, all right. Now, Manny, you know, we're asking people because today, obviously, monumental in Washington. Mm-hmm. Tax reform. What's it mean for the company? What's it mean for you? What's it mean for shoppers? Well, I think in general for our industry, it's probably a positive. Okay. Uh, on a personal level, I'm, I'm somewhat disappointed with the, with the whole reform. Uh, you know, the focus is was supposed to be on middle-class tax cuts, and this really seems like all of the benefits is going to the top 1% and corporations. So it's disappointing from that because I don't know that it's really going to drive the growth that everybody hopes for. So um, $1.5 trillion in deficit that's coming out of this, and I just hope we get some payback on it. I'm a little disappointed. Do you think that some people are going to get relief uh, that are in the middle class and might do some shopping or... Well, I think, look, I think right now in the United States, we've seen business really get very strong yes. over the last six weeks in particular. Really? As we've gone 
into November and then started into the early part and now of December, just getting started in our beginning of December. Um, really just seen very, very strong performance, much better than what we are projecting. Do you have enough inventory? <laughs> yeah, we have enough inventory. I mean, honestly, this is the first time I've had, I mean, this weird. is pretty amazing. And that, I saw you buy back a lot of shares. Yeah. Obviously, you must have thought the stock was a bargain versus well, what's going on. Well, you know, on. looking at, yes, we felt where we were trading, if you go back three or four months ago, um, and the momentum we saw in the business, we just felt that it was out of alignment. So we've been pretty aggressive about buying back our shares in a thoughtful way. Um, and in line with the guidance we've given, but we've gotten out there. What gives? Why is it stronger, Manny? Well, look, our international business for the first six months of the year has been off the charts strong. Yes. The, the big change is the domestic business. Our own retail stores in the, in the second quarter, our Tommy business comping mid-single-digit increases, and our Calvin business kind of flat from being negative. And as we've gotten into the fourth quarter, we've seen the trends in those businesses both improve. Calvin's running up about mid-single digits, and Tommy's running up high single digits. That's really good. And that's North America. So and the trends overseas. in Europe is con- and internationally has continued. Can I read good things in for uh, Macy's, for JCPenney's, or Kohl's, or am I just reading good things in for Amazon? No, I, I think you're seeing department store business across the board. What we've seen is a strong surge, especially in the month of November. I think inventories in particular are under much tighter control right. as we go in. And I think you're going to see sales improvements, and I think you're going to see, if the trends continue, gross margin improvements across retail. Okay, so Manny, the, the, we're going to cut the tax rate for the domestic companies. Mm-hmm. Do you think they'll put that money in brick and mortar? Will they give it to shareholders? Will they buy more inventory and expand? Well, look, I, I, don't, I don't think any, comp- any well-run company in corporate America today is capital constraint. So if I need inventory, believe me, our balance sheet, our strength that we have, we go out and we get what we need. We've continued, we and I think others in our industry and in corporate America in general, our ba- balance sheets are in, sh- in great shape. Uh, the ability now, if this tax uh, proposal goes through to bring back uh, monies from overseas, I think clearly will be a Help positive. The real question is, is it going to go to stock buybacks or is it going to go for investments? I think where there's appropriate investments, I think corporate managers will make those investments. But I'm not sure that the tax reform is what's really going to drive it. I think it's been strong business and CEOs have done a really good job of managing their balance sheet. Manny, you've been coming on for many, many years. Is this the strongest holiday season that you've seen in ages? Well, it's the strongest holiday season so far that I've seen in the last four years. Well, that's uh, very, yeah, that's so, good. Especially here in North America. But the stocks were up today. Yeah. So I, maybe I feel that there's some grounding, some yeah, empirical grounding. Absolutely. And we're, we're trying to use it to invest in our brands, invest in marketing behind our brands. And to take our earnings guidance. Well, you're doing terrifically. Thanks and a lot. It's been the whole year been good. This is Manny Chirico. He's the chairman CEO of PVH with another winning quarter. Stick with Kramer. Every now and then an IPO will sneak up on you with the deal getting very little fanfare. The stock's not doing much on the first day. But then in the following days and weeks, it starts roaring higher. We saw that happen with Roku. And that's just what's happening to a little fresh-faced public company called Stitch Fix, S-F-I-X, which came public a week and a half ago at 15 bucks. Here's a company that occupies a very interesting niche. Stitch Fix provides monthly curated shipments of apparel, shoes, and accessories to their customers called Fixes. Hence the name. And these shipments are supposedly put together with great care. 
by the company's excellent stylus. Now, on its first day of trading, Stitch Fix did next to nothing, closing at $15.15. But since then, it has shot into the stratosphere, climbing to 22 bucks and change as of today. That's stunning. And it's why I think we need to do some digging to figure out if the move is warranted and whether it might be too late or even too early to get involved. And we want to overlay the fact that today was a tough day for the high multiple web companies. First, though, let me give you some more background on this unexpectedly hot IPO. Stitch Fix was founded in 2011 and is one of a growing number of companies that shop so you don't have to. Every month they select new apparel, shoes, and accessories, and every month they send them to their user base, charging them as a a fee each time. Of course, anything they send you that you don't want to keep, it can be returned. Now, that may sound like a crazy way to get your clothes, but the company has roughly 2.2 million active clients. Active clients. And so far this year, the repeat rate is around 86%. Many of these people really do keep coming back for more. Now, Stitch Fix bills itself as the solution to all of the problems created by brick-and-mortar retail. Clothing is one of those uh, things where, I mean, really, even if you'd prefer to buy it online, it's sometimes easier to just go in person because you don't know what your size will be unless it's shoes or how well it will look on you. But as we've seen over and over again, not many retailers seem to understand that we live in a brave new world where consumers hate shopping. Nobody under the age of 40 wants to go to a department store and get hassled by a sales associate. associate. Hey, listen, my folks were both sales associates, so don't take that personally. And uh, uh, frankly, a lot of older people don't like it either, although others can't shop without it. For Stitch Fix's core audience, though, which is definitely part of the younger demographic, these millennials view the traditional retail experience as a total anathema. It's inconvenient. It's impersonal. It's a time waster. While the group popped today, led by the best of the bunch, Macy's, which I said buy yesterday, and I think Macy's can have more upside, as I told you, the fact is that brick-and-mortar apparel retailers remain a very troubled lot where companies can't close their stores fast enough. However, it's not just that kids hate going to the mall to try on shoes. The rise of e-commerce has also created whole new problems for consumers. The initial wave of online shopping, led by companies like Amazon, that prioritizes low prices and fast delivery, worked perfectly for more commoditized products that people already knew they wanted. But when the consumers in question don't already know what they want, the sheer number of options available online, well, we all know it can be overwhelming. It's called the paradox of choice. If you can buy a million different shirts or shoes or accessories, how the heck are you supposed to pick just one? It's literally unfathomable, and you never know if you made the right call or if you might have found something better if you kept searching the web. Now, some days, someday I'm sure that Amazon or someone else will develop artificial intelligence that's so smart they don't need your input anymore. The machine will know what you want, and that's what you'll get. I think Salesforce.com is going toward that, by the way. Until then, though, if you want to buy, say, a dress online, running a search with a bunch of filters is the best you can do. And the results can be pretty unreliable. So while shopping in person is agonizing to the younger generation, shopping online has its own problems. Too much choice. And there's no personal touch from the salespeople who might actually know what looks good and you steer you toward that. You know what I mean? Like, they steer me toward this tie. It's a, a polo tie. They steer me toward it. I wasn't going to buy it. What do you think? Point it out. Anyway, that's where Stitch Fix comes in. Remember how I said we eventually get AI that could duplicate the best real-life Nordstrom salesperson? Mention Nordstrom because they have legendarily good service. Well, that's sort of what Stitch Fix is working on. 
The company uses data science to predict their customers' purchase behavior, forecast demand, optimize inventory, and most important, to design new products and to pick and choose personal options when they send each client their box full of fixes every month. It's like a more expensive dollar shave club. I like to call this this stuff, as in this stuff as a service industry, but for clothing. Unlike most online operations, Citrix gets their client data directly from the clients. You tell them what you like and give them your personal info so that the company's stylist can send you the best stuff possible every month. On average, customers give Stitch Fix over 85 different meaningful data points, size, fit, price preference, not to mention how often you dress up or dress down for special occasions. Basically, Stitch Fix is trying to combine data science with human judgment to get a better edge over uh, other purveyors of apparel and accessories. I think this makes imminent, it makes a eminent amount of sense to me. First, the machine generates a set, of, a set of predictive recommendations for each customer. Then actual human stylists come in and use their judgment to make the final decisions on what the company sends you each month. The value proposition is straightforward. Rather than spending hours of your life searching the web to find stuff you might like, Stitch Fix is like having a budget-rate personal shopper who understands your fashion needs and sends you a bunch of personalized items every month. They don't need to rely on discounts or promotions to move merchandise, and the companies that make this stuff are all very eager to get their products on the Stitch Fix platform, especially the smaller players who really need the exposure. It is an intriguing concept. But at the end of the day, This business comes down to the numbers, like all the businesses we analyze on Mad Money. And after a period of explosive growth, Stitch Fix's numbers are now rapidly slowing down. Consider that in 2016, the company's revenue more than doubled, up 113%. In their 2017 fiscal year, they only grew at 33.8%. A lot of companies would still kill for that level of growth, but momentum investors prefer stories with accelerating revenue growth, or ARG. Not decelerating revenue growth. Stitch Fix's gross margins expanded by 200 basis points last year, but only increased by 20 basis points for 2017. Wrong derivative. The company finally turned profitable in 2015, then got even more profitable last year. But in 2017, they went back into the red. Although, to be fair, this is the kind of company that should be spending everything it makes in order to grow the business. Slowing revenue growth and rising expenses, it's not what I'm looking for in a company. It's not good looking on anybody. Stitch Fix says the expenses will keep rising as they invest heavily in marketing. It's kind of like Wayfair. But this is a tough industry with no real brand loyalty. The whole reason we like when retailers roll out a loyalty card is because shoppers are inherently disloyal. Stitch Fix needs to stay relevant in a highly competitive industry. And as we've seen over and over again with brick-and-mortar apparel merchants, all it takes is one little slip to crush your stock. Plus, I have to admit, I've heard some horrible anecdotes from people who were very disappointed about the assortment of stuff Stitch Fix would send them. Apparently, some of their stylists have a hard time grasping terms like professional or office appropriate. Although, empirically, there are obviously a lot of satisfied customers. My view, I think you need to skip this stock until these guys prove themselves and show us they have a solid plan to keep expanding and have the revenues go higher. Sure, it can go higher, the stock. But one look at what's happening to the stock of Amazon today tells you how you should feel about this child of a lesser retailing god. Here's the bottom line. Stitch Fix's stock may have caught fire in the week and a half since it came public, but there's just too much uncertainty here for me to give it my blessing. I say use Stitch Fix as a service, but the stock, too risky for this guy. Andy in California. Andy! Hey, Jim. Happy holidays to you and both of your family. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you very much. Well put, Modern Family 2.0, man. What's going on? Yeah, 
Actually, I feel like I'm part of your Kramerica family, so you have three families who are truly a blessed man. Wow. I like that family. got to send him a Christmas card. What's going on? I mean, that's a lot. That's $317 million. I'll get right on it. What's happening? Yeah, just one more thing before I get to my Sure. I mean, whatever. We got all day. Yeah, exactly. I got all day. I'm here at work till tomorrow morning at 6.30. But anyway, uh, yourself, Dave Faber, Carl Quintanilla are the three most intelligent, insightful people on television. Wow. Wow. I mean, did you see us call the top today on a lot of those high-tech uh, stocks? But anyway, thank you yeah, very much. And I think that uh, my partners are so good. I, they're just unbelievably good. They make me look good. You ever see the stuff they tee up for me? Except for David when he does that, like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. The way you guys interact with each other, it's, it's just very, it's very nice to see. All right. Now let's go to work. What do we got? Anyway, Roku has had such a monster run the last month or so. Is it still worth chasing? That's what I, I don't think know. so. You know why? Because it's a, it's a jumping bean of a stock. I mean, it's up on a short squeeze because everybody figures that Amazon's going to crush it. And then it ended up having really good numbers. So it's all over the place. You know what? It's like going to the racetrack. I don't like that. I don't want to go to the racetrack. I want to invest. Dave in Illinois. Oh, thank you for those nice comments. Dave in Illinois. Dave. Dr. Kramer, hey, congratulations on your commanding Sunday victory over my Chicago Bears. Yeah, that was a kind of a beat down there, Dave, but I always love your call, so let's make money together. Sounds good. Jim, the cosmetics industry is mature. Yeah. Household names like Avon and Revlon dominate the space. Despite this maturity, Estee Lauder continues to design and produce new products in new markets. Asian momentum continues on the strength of China, offsetting weakness in the Americas. The company consistently beats revenue and earnings estimates. So, Jim, in this day of millennials obsessing with selfies and Instagrams, can we ride EL higher, or am I just putting hope in the jar? Okay, now, EL, thank you for the kind comments. EL is a very expensive stock. I put that out there at the beginning. Why? Because Fabrizio Freda is about as close to a genius as you're going to get. You know, he literally has, like, laboratories of cosmetics. And when there's one that takes off, he moves it over and starts blowing it out. You're absolutely right. Asia's getting better. I, Dave, would prefer for a pullback, but you can buy a little more. Maybe we get a little sell-off again. And then you buy some lower. And thank you for the kind comments. And uh, sorry about the bears. Cheryl and Maine, Cheryl. Hello. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah, Cheryl. Hi there. Hey, doing? Hey. I've, I've been wondering. Um, I've noticed when I go to Walmart and I need some caulking, I'm like, hey, I'm going to buy it at Walmart. Um, I've, I had considered purchasing some Lowe's stocks. Yeah. But why do they position Lowe's in the same parking lot of most Walmarts? Well, and you know, it's a great question. But, you know, that's kind Thank of a you. real estate question. And they want to go where, the, where they can have big parcels so they can put their stores up. I like Home Depot over Lowe's. Now, these stocks roll up today, so I don't like to chase. As a matter of fact, we sold a retailer today for Action Owners Plus for the club members. This, this group is too hot. It's going to get cooler. But I prefer Walmart over Lowe's, and I prefer Home Depot. So let's just do that. And uh, well, Lowe's is a very good company. I do love to shop there. I think Home Depot has an edge right now on what the consumer wants. And you can see that from the very high comparable store sales. Need a fix of money-making opportunity? Eh, I think you'll find it in Stitch Fix. 
There's just a lot of uncertainty here for me in, in this market. I, I, I can't give it my blessing. Still more man money ahead. Hoping to catch an upside surprise in the market? I'll tell you why the dreaded M word holds the key. Millennials. Then real estate giant CBRE jumping over 35% this year. I'll tell you why. And oil calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Ski Daddy Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Do I make too much of millennials? Are they really that important to the stock market? Do we really have to consider constantly what they're about and remain vigilant about what they are and what they're up to? Unfortunately for old fogies like me, the millennials are now the largest living generation in the U.S., with more than 75 million of them born between 1981 and 1996. 75 million. Worse, you actually need to start worrying about or be scared of post-millennials, the even younger generation that's now coming to its own. Together, the millennials and the post-millennials already make up nearly half our population. I say worse because, for the most part, the actions of these kids are unfathomable to money managers in this country, unless they have millennial-age children still running around the house because they're too broke to move out. So by sheer numbers, if you don't focus on their buying patterns, you're going to miss what's happening with a huge chunk of the consumer economy. I like to think that I've been at the forefront of trying to figure out what these kids want and then trying to help you profit from it. Why do I bring all this up now? Yesterday, I put together a thesis that says millennials like protein, particularly chicken. And that could be a big motivation behind a couple of eye-popping acquisitions. The purchase of Popeyes by the burger-laden restaurant brands, and yesterday snagging of Buffalo Wild Wings by the Roar Capital-backed Arby's, another beef-oriented chain. It makes perfect sense that these two buyers understand that they're too meat-oriented in a time when the millennials are moving toward what's perceived to be the healthier poultry offerings. Hey, I got some Snickers from my Squawk on the Street partners, David Faber and Carl Quintanilla, for that assessment. And given that they're both younger than I am, as well as being sound, rational people, I wanted to reassess to see if I've gotten off track and become obsessed with something that can't possibly all be all that important to stock prices. Take a look. Millennials love protein. <laughs> As opposed to other people? I. Millennials love kind protein. Millennials love protein. Why are you laughing? Because that was funny. Millennials love protein. <laughs> no, man, I've done so much work. And you don't even know the things I'm about. I'm going to blow you away. I don't even with know. Some... I have no doubt. <laughs> Wait a second, though. Let me tell you where this poultry thesis stems from. This is not something I pulled out from a, you know, from a, I don't know. I got it from Tyson Foods. Tyson Foods, they're the nation's largest publicly traded producer of meat and chicken, which first explained to me that there's a big shift for younger people embracing poultry. Hey, look, they could have said they're embracing beef. They're embracing poultry. Well, they like those sausage links. Tyson has the nice track record of better than expected earnings, largely because of chicken. So who the heck am I to challenge their thesis? They got the numbers. I'm just putting two and two together. Granted, it could be totally random that these two beef-oriented fast food chains idly decided to buy two chicken purveyors. But if you go back to what Cheryl Batchelder, the former CEO of Popeyes, told us before the buyout, chicken's the fastest-growing category in the quick serve space. You want to catch an upside surprise or takeover, you need to be thinking about these things. Let's go deeper. 
Last time we spoke to Thor Industries, the number one maker of recreational vehicles, after their stunning earnings beat. Now, I've been recommending Thor for ages because I think it's now in secular growth mode, thanks to millennials who've recognized that RVs are cheaper, more ex- experiential way to travel. That's another one of those words, experiential. Again, if I hadn't been focused on that part of the equation, I probably would have gotten this one wrong, like so many other professionals who are short Thor because they keep expecting it to roll over. Now, I'm not saying the chicken is booming because millennials desperately need to look thinner so they can post good-looking pictures of themselves on Instagram, although I often think I look trimmer when I get more of my protein from poultry. Anyway, I'm not saying that's why we're getting these takeover bids, but I'm definitely, I definitely think the Instagram factor explains the RV thesis. Not only is it cheaper than staying at a hotel, they also let you set up more fabulous backgrounds for pictures and blog posts than you'll ever get from a W or even a Four Seasons. Many millennials are what we call Instarados. Instarados. The name my daughter and I have come up with for those obsessed with their social media feeds. And RVs are a perfect way to satiate the Instagram desperados obsessions. The Instarados. Look, I could go on and on, but at the end of the day, I've caught a lot more upside surprises by trying to think like a millennial than by dismissing their patterns of behavior. That may seem laughable, but to my fellow baby boomers, it works. Stick with Kramer. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, got it. Time for the lightning round. John in New York. John. Hey, Jim, how are you? Thanks I am for good. Taking my call. I'm looking for TSEM, TSEM, Tower Jazz Semiconductors. I think this company is going to go uh, really good in the next year. I'm thinking that maybe now uh, would be a good time to invest. How about they're pushing 50 by this time next year? God bless you, Jim. Take care and bye-bye. Okay, now here's the problem with Tower Semi. It is a semiconductor stock, and right now they're for sale. So I would wait until, if I didn't own any stock, I'd wait a couple days. If I owned it, I'd say, fine, i got to ride it through. Let's go to Michelle in North Carolina. Michelle. Hi, Jim. Big booyah from the North Carolina mountains. I wanted to inquire about Momo. Would you consider it the new Facebook of China? No, I would not. I consider it a company that I think is a very uh, speculative situation that I cannot get my arms around. So I am going to say skip it and Facebook down seven today. Get down, you know, that's down 4%. Get that one down a little more. I think they'd actually buy that. Let's go to Jeff in New York. Jeff. Hey, Jim. Thank you very much for taking my call. You're an American patriot. Oh, my question's you. on about new residential investment corp, NRZ, as a reasonable PE and a high yield, and I'm interested in your thoughts. Jeff, here's my problem. When I see that yield, an 11% yield, that to me is a red flag. I don't really know what they own. They're investing in residential housing. Who really understands? I'd like to see more of the, of the product, and mostly I want to see them come on the shelf, and then we can make a judgment. How about Roseanne in North Carolina? Roseanne. Hello, Jim. How are you? I am good, man. North Carolina got a lot of callers tonight. What's going on? Oh, well, I've learned a lot from you over the years. Thank I'm a you. member of Piedmont Investment Club. This is the club's 25th anniversary. Excellent. My, thank you. My stock is NetEase. What do you think about it? It's up considerably since I bought it. You think it's time? 
to take some profits. Oh, jeez, man, that is up 50%. It, it, you know, it's a, another one of these companies that are from China. Let's not take any chance. Let's just cut that one in half and let the rest run, okay? That's what to do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. in the year, almost December, many winners tend to keep on winning. Money managers will load up on their favorite stocks with big gains. I want to show their clients how smart they are when they have to report their positions at the end of the year. Which brings me to CBRE, symbol CBG. This is the world's largest purveyor of commercial real estate services. Here's a company that helps real estate investors, giving them outsourced leasing, sales, appraisals, development, and property management services, although they also own some properties of their own, and they're increasingly been moving into the technological side of the business thanks to a series of brilliant acquisitions. But the key thing about CBRE is that the stock has given you this terrific move, more than, up more than 45% since the first time we spoke to the CEO a little less than a year ago, December 1st of 2016, which turned out to be, by the way, the darn 52-week low. Talk about a buying opportunity. I recommended it as a way to play the real estate market without owning a real estate investment trust, and that's looking like a good call. In fact, every time we check in with these guys, the stock has continued to go higher. Now up over 12% since the last time we spoke to the CEO. That was only four months ago. And we know business is good. Seabury reported a very strong quarter earlier this month. Big top and bottom line beat with raised guidance. So can the stock keep climbing? Let's dig deeper with Bob Salentic. He's the president and CEO of CBRE Group Money. To hear more about how this company's doing and where it's headed, Mr. Sullivan, welcome back to Mad Money. Bob, you have just been, it's very interesting to see it, to have a guess. Every time they've been on, the stock goes higher. So we got to delve into that. But before we do, there's a tax code that's being changed. And I've got to tell you, in my old hedge fund days, located in New York, based in New Jersey, I would be calling you and I'd say, Bob, what can you do about my tax situation? All, you know, with these state and local, and I can keep my business together. Are people calling you to say, let's, I need to be in a lower tax place? They're not really calling to ask us to help them find a lower tax place, Jim. That isn't really how this tax uh, code change is okay. impacting our industry. What's really going on that's important to our industry is that corporations are going to pay lower taxes. Corporations are our biggest clients. Okay. If they have more money to invest to serve their clients, more money to invest in their people, they're going to grow, they're going to do more business, and that's going to help our business grow. That's what's really going on. Now, let's, let, let's flesh that out. So in other words, let's say your tax goes from 36 to 20, okay? Your meaning of the bottom line is going to be good. Someone's going to say, we can, we can hire more, we're making more money, but we're out of space. Let's call CBRE. Of course. When companies grow, they call us. When companies move, they call us. When companies need advice on how to use their space, they call us. Right. If they have more money to invest, if they can do more things, our business is going to be able to grow in all those ways. So would this be a time, you have $98 billion right now in, in, in under management. Would this be a time where you would want to buy business, so that, building so that you could uh, uh, take part in what sounds like a, a pretty appreciative situation? You're asking, would we want to buy real estate? Yes. Well, we just, as you might have seen, we just raised a fund, a billion and a half dollar fund, uh, to invest in value-add real estate. That's real estate that's um, performing okay, but there's upside opportunity. Uh, There were a billion and a half dollars worth of investors that wanted to get into that fund to invest in real estate here in the U.S. So people see it. I think they see see it. it. Absolutely. Now, 
Property sales revenue rose 9%, reflecting market share gains in an environment where global market volumes were relatively flat year over year. So in other words, you're vastly outperforming the industry that you're in. We're taking market share in capital markets. We're taking market share in leasing. We're taking market share in our outsourcing business. What really happened on the capital market side of things is we've gotten much, much better at connecting our people around the world. And capital sources and investors in commercial real estate want that because capital flows around the world. Right, right. Now, one of the things I thought was really interesting was that um, I was going to ask you a question about WeWork. I figured they were the enemy. But in the conference call, you realize that you guys work with them. WeWork's a good company. They're about co-working. Right. They do. WeWork does a couple things uh, that are relevant to our business. Number one, they buy big blocks of space or lease big blocks of space and then sell it uh, in smaller chunks. We advise two billion square feet of users of space. Sometimes we put them in WeWork space. Sometimes we represent WeWork in finding space. Right. And sometimes we compete a little bit with WeWork. That's the nature of big companies. They're very good at what they do. This co-working scenario is very real. And we have a lot of different ways we plan it because we advise our companies around the use of space in ways that touch that often. Okay. I wanted to do it because I, you know, I had the hotel guys come on. I thought Airbnb was going to wreck them. And I was thinking maybe WeWork is the alternative. But no, that's great to know. One last thing. In the conference call and in your release, you stated that, look, the fourth quarter is going to be difficult to beat. But at the same time, you didn't lower your guidance. I mean, you kept your guidance. But do we really have to be concerned about a shock fourth quarter number? I mean, here it is. We're at the end of November. I mean, business is pretty good, isn't it? Business is good. We actually raise guidance. If, no, but I'm saying in the fourth quarter, you yeah. do say that year over year it's going to be tough. Well, what we said is you're, if you read through the numbers, what we said is in the fourth quarter, it's going to be relatively flat. That's right. reflective of two things. Number one, we grew our services business right. 30% in the fourth quarter last year. Number two, tough our two compare. principal businesses had very big fourth quarters based on some asset harvests we did. We expect that part of the business to be down a little. That's the part that's a little lumpy. Uh, okay. Uh, but we're expecting really strong a fourth quarter. You have to remember the compare was exceptional. All right. Well, I just, well, you know, obviously, because we're proud that every time you come on, the stock goes up. I don't want to jinx it, but that's yeah. great to know. I'm glad you explained that to everybody because I know that business is very strong for you. Okay, that's Bob Salenta. He's president and CEO of CBRE Group. Remember, every time he's come on, the stock is going up, and it's no coincidence. They own this business. Man, money's back after the break. I said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Diversification is the only free lunch in this business. I like to say there's always a market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you tomorrow. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.